Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hot Take Hockey Podcast. Wow, I have an amazing guest for this one, Ron McLean. You know him well through Hockey Night in Canada, CBC, and now Sportsnet. Uh, from so many different things in hockey, just in my opinion, a Canadian sport media icon, someone I've looked up to uh, all my life, uh, whether it's awards, books on Ron's part, uh, major NHL events, uh, Olympics, and, and just so much more. Ron's built an incredible resume. Ron, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's fan- I try not to smile too much. I look pleased with myself, <laughs> but that's a lovely introduction and uh, hot take. It's a great uh, podcast name. And I, I, I know if I were nervous, like I remember my first ever NHL telecast was the Detroit Red Wings. And for some reason, when you're nervous, Detroit Red Wings doesn't roll off the tongue. So good for you. You're you're in total command. I can see that, John. Yeah, and I could tell you right now, definitely for yourself. And we've had a, a couple really cool guests and just different people, whether it's sport media individuals or, or former players and continue to try to get more people on. Um, I was definitely nervous to talk to you, Ron, because uh, you've been someone, as I said, looking up to um, just coming out of the sport media program. Uh, there's just so many, I mean, there's so much competition, but so much just, I would say so much love for hockey. And, and you've been for me, at least one of the bigger names that I've looked up to um, for yourself. And I would say obviously most recently with the pandemic and just so much changing in the sport media landscape, how has your career changed through the pandemic and coming out of it? And kind of what do you do day to day now? Well, you know, a lot has happened that I haven't really been involved in, and that's uh, social media has been the biggest change, bar yeah. none. Uh, and I think to be a part of the media landscape now, uh, you need to realize it's no longer a vertical pronouncement from Hockey Night in Canada, but there's a kind of a democracy happening on the socials, and uh, it allows people to, you know, mobilize. And that that has been a, you know, I'm old enough that I don't need to sort of build a brand, thank heavens. Uh, But I I mean, I'm not knocking it. It's just that's a huge change. And and the other thing, John, would be when I was taught, uh, probably the golden lesson that was given to me was uh, by a man named Wayne Heinrich. You may have read this in uh, Cornered, but he taught me to speak one to one, number one. No, hello, Canada. No, hi, everybody. He he taught me the lesson of uh, companionship, one to one communication. And then he explained that when you're doing that one to one communication, you have to speak to a a listener or a viewer, or if you're writing a reader, uh, as if there's someone like yourself. Uh, The only way you'll be authentic is if it's your sense of humor, your sense of ethics, uh, everything that you kind of uh, connect with, speak to that person. But the problem has become uh, that's quite exclusive. Uh, You know, in in a world demanding, rightfully so, a a far more inclusive approach, uh, I have to realize that uh, Ron talking to Ron might be at the expense of so many different interests and to try and process in your head that there's maybe 5 million viewers watching a Toronto Maple Leaf telecast and their sensibilities are all over the map uh, has been a bit of a challenge. You know, you don't, you don't want to back off and take it and play it safe. Um, But you almost have to be uh, way more critical, self-critical and self-aware as you, as you present. And that, that's a big change from the days when we were kind of all in on the joke. It it was like a, it was a very homogenous, uh, you know, a little ecosystem and you could get away with a lot because everybody, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Oh, that's just whomever. Uh, that's changed. Yeah. I was also going to ask you because whether it's um, colleagues of yourself or, or just different people you've come across, do you feel like the sp- social media landscape, like, do you try to, whether it's tune it out or just maybe not involved as much, is that something that maybe you get from your colleagues or is that something you kind of just stay away from? You know, in my case, uh, like I'll tell you a story. I was doing a uh, hockey day in Canada I was up in Owen sound and my wife, Carrie uh, was down in Orlando at the same time at a golf Academy. Uh, 
and she was checking Twitter just to make sure Ron wasn't trending because that happens a lot, right? Can you imagine the fear that she lives in? Uh, and I do to an extent as well. Uh, it doesn't take much uh, to, to set off uh, sort of a, a joint uh, conversation. So again, you can't avoid it. And, and you certainly, uh, like like your approach to life can't be to look in the mirror and say, I got this. I know what's going on. I'm experienced. Uh, you you want to use your memory. You want to use your own intuition. You want to use your learning. Uh, many of the skill sets of critical thinking uh, have to be your own, but a huge part of your critical thinking has to be the input of teachers, mentors, leaders, etc. And Twitter or Instagram or any of the socials can be that too. So yeah, you're you're caught in a little bit of a you know, a sort of Damocles, a fear that hangs over you that something you did 30 years ago is uh, about to be a hot take. Um, but yep. you're human. Uh, you, you just have to pray that you you lived, a, you know, a conscientious, clean life. And uh, and that's, you know, I think a lot of people in the public uh, sphere uh, live in that fear. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of, a lot of the big names that Ron, I think like even, so we had James Duffy on the podcast, for example, and I know he got heavily criticized for his comments during uh, the world cup. Right. And, and of course for, I, we had Sid Sixero on, and I know he, he's a very bold uh, individual when it comes to his take. So there's so many different um, aspects when it, like everyone, there's so many different opinions. Uh, of course, the world has changed in so many different ways and more so we're seeing it out of the pandemic. Do you look back on, on so many different memories through Coach's Corner or even hometown hockey? I know Tara now, uh, we're actually having her on the podcast soon. Oh, great. Um, so her working for the Sharks. Do you look back on certain memories, whether you said 30 years ago, like are there certain things that really stand out now or whether it's oh, around the fire or a couple of beers, yes. like is there th those common stories that you really revert back to? Well, first, uh, we still have those moments like uh, Saturday night, Kelly Rudy, Kevin Bieksa, Brian Spear, Elliot Freeman, and I were at a little bar in Toronto at 1.30 in the morning having our two quick beers before, you know, heading to bed. I love it. Uh, so that that won't change. Uh, but I do fondly think about how blessed I was to work uh, right from the beginning. Uh, I mentioned that Wayne Heinrich, he was my boss at Red Deer, and I had a good group there. Then went to Calgary, and Ed Whalen was a legendary broadcaster, did stampede wrestling, really funny guy, but also did, uh, you know, political. Uh, commentary each night on the evening news. So he was all of the things that you you want from a, a teacher. Uh, Grant Pollock, Mike Lonsborough, it was a great crew there. And then what happened, I, the other thing in addition to, of course, grapes, 33 years with Don, it goes yeah. without saying, was magical. And, uh, you know, that's uh, like they say, uh, the meaning of life is that it ends, the meaning of love is it doesn't. And I can promise you there's a great, uh, we, we were always so different, you know, grapes once gave me a little statue of a, of a doll from the world's fair in St. Louis in 1904. It's called a Billiken doll. And the Billiken is the God of how things ought to be. You know, I always say, Oh, you, you left wing pinko commie. You, you, you want, uh, you know, the world to be this way. So we were like, obviously CNN versus Fox from the beginning. And that was the less trouble back in the start. Uh, it became trouble as uh, the world became so polarized. But yeah. also on the Olympics, John, I would work with uh, track and field, Don Whitman, and our, our analyst was Jeff Gowan. And then Michael Smith. Michael Smith's a decathlete who uh, won silver at a world championships. And Jeff was president of the Coaching Association of Canada. On golf, I worked with Jim Nelford and Judy Rankin. On horse racing, I worked with Jim Bannon, the handicapper at Woodbine Racetrack. And this guy, honestly, he'd need to see the first quarter mile of a race, and then he would circle the order of finish. He was a genius. They all were. They, they were all just uh, unbelievable at uh, understanding their craft. And so to listen to them talk their sport, 
Um, yeah, I just pinch myself that how did an only child who had no siblings who, who kind of looked at the TV for the bulk of his first 15 years end up with uh, folks who are so good at that? I know you mentioned uh, Don and obviously Don in different ways. I know you guys always balanced each other really well um, over the years. So there were so many positives. I know people always pick at the negatives, but so many different positives. Right. And I know I was watching the Spit and Chicklets chat that you had. And I know you said that as time will go on, you'll look back on so many more things. And and while there are the negatives, you'll just keep looking back fondly. Do you believe that when you're kind of all said and done? I know I, I want to see a lot more from you, Ron, but when you're all said and done, do you feel like you kind of accomplished a lot of what you wanted to do. And I also want to, as I said, pick your brain at the refing and what you've done in your career with that as well. Well, first on the broadcasting end, you know, the, the lesson Wayne Heinrich also gave me in addition to one-to-one -one, was let your guest be the star, right? So obviously mm -hmm. Don succeeded uh, beyond my wildest dreams in terms of being a, a partner who was a, a star. Um, so I, I feel like when I look back, uh, all the folks I worked with through those years, uh, you know, I was able to elevate, to lift. I, I've told this story, uh, Gord Downey on his final tour, the leader of the Tragically Hip. Yeah, I, I had a beer with him at the Empress in Victoria after the first show of the 10 uh, tour stops. And he said, you know, we were making a change. Strombo, George Strombolopoulos had come in as a, sort of the lead for two seasons. And, you know, for whatever reason, they just people were, uh, there was a clamor and uh, it just you know, unfortunately for George, I don't think he was put in a great position to to utilize his great interviewing skills mm -hmm. and to showcase the things he was good at. They were trying to move him into, uh, you know, all the bells and whistles that TV can offer and have him stand here, stand there. And, uh, you know, he's a great ringleader uh, and he did a great job, but it was just time after two seasons to kind of go back to the, you know, original Coke recipe. Yeah. So that becomes me and I'm in the bar with Gord Downey of the hip. And he said, well, Ron, you'll be fine. As long as you remember to elevate Kelly Rudy and Nick Kiprios and Elliot Friedman. Uh, he had, he had that understanding that, you know, what, what are we in this for? We're into lift. We're into uh, certainly to provoke with uh, a word here or there or a thought uh, you know, so, but, but, to to actually think of it, John, in terms of, did I achieve honest to God by the seat of my pants the entire time, not a goal setter at all, uh, just kept falling into the craziest things, battle of the blades. You know, I ended up working with Kurt Browning, Sandra Bezik is a world-class choreographer and judge and uh, commentator. And I mean, that was a just unbelievable experience in terms of how many times she would say to Kurt Browning and me, no. That is beneath you too. That uh, you know, we called her fun be gone because she would straighten us out in terms of uh, she had a she had a perception of the art you know that we were doing that was different from the two of us and yeah. magic. Uh, so I'll I'll just be grateful that you know I I will always I mean I, not to again I got to really be careful I don't feel like or sound like I'm pleased with myself but when I think about doing the Canada Day on Parliament Hill and I'm in an Atco trailer dressing room and it's me and Christopher Plummer the Oscar winner you know and it's like Ron and Christopher Plummer how in the hell did that happen and then I'm introducing Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth you know the last time she did it in Canada or the closing of Maple Leaf Gardens with Anne Murray singing Maple Leaf Forever or introducing the final concert by the Tragically Hip it's like what in the hell is going on here uh, it's happenstance it's uh, lucky enough to get in you know, the door. And then after that, like we all know, you just Wayne Heinrich, this is the 10th and final time I'll mention him, but he said yeah. 10 hours of prep to everyone on the air. And he wasn't wrong. You know, that it's just hard, hard work. Uh, those who say about broadcasting, I've never worked a day in my life are kidding. Uh, you never have a minute off in broadcasting because you, you are just following so many uh, bouncing balls and trying to come up with a new way to say big game tonight. 
Well, and that's why I wanted to, to say, Ron, because I think there's so many levels to what you've done. And I, obviously people just see the product that comes on the TV and the product of what they see, but there's so many different levels to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I do want to speak to, of course, your incredible broadcasting career, your refereeing career. So how, I know you've told this a couple of times, but how did that start? Um, and maybe some just enjoyable memories or interactions uh, throughout that over the years. Well, you know, again, John, you prepare, funny enough, uh, all of my life has been inadvertent preparation for the path I ended up on. You know, when I was a DJ, so I, I started my broadcasting career on radio, spinning records. And mm. every record has a little song music bed before the vocalist begins. It might be four seconds, it might be 47 seconds seconds. And so you kind of get a little bit of a mental editing clock in your head, knowing that I've got 47 seconds over the start of Santa Esmeralda. Please don't let me be misunderstood to tell a story. Might be the weather. It might be a story, but you get that sense of what is 47 seconds. What is 25 seconds? And that is a great gift for television uh, because you're always up against the clock and how much is left before the commercial break. So, and the refing, uh, that became my sort of foundation in terms of, uh, you know, um, being a litigator, being uh, in a position of uh, moderating, uh, being, you know, always having sort of those values that a referee has to have where you're not the fan and you're not the coach and you're not the player. You don't have the same vested interest. Your job is to make it a level playing field, a fair playing field. And kind of as a host in a broadcast, that's exactly what you're asked to do. And you're asked to see both sides of the story. And you're certainly asked to receive all the boos, you know, that you get when you get the call that goes one way and yeah. fans of the other team are hot the other way, you learn to sort of thicken your skin and understand that that's going to be part of it so that you can survive. When you get a, a tweet cavalcade of, you know, Ron sucks. You, you well, I've heard that how many times in arenas all across the country. So very lucky to have had that inadvertent yeah. prep for, for my journey. That's a great point. Yeah. Because you know what? People can have their opinions on refs all, all they want. And, and even for myself, when I watch games sometimes, uh, I could even find myself uh, getting at the ref, but uh, no, that's a good point. You, you've had so much of that in person that the, the tweets it's the, are it's the human far. element. I, I, the story in my book is my favorite is I was refing in Bentley when a, a goaltender was run in a, in a circumstance where a, Attacking player from Sylvan Lake, Alberta, was coming at the goalie from Bentley, Alberta, collided over the puck, and the goalie stayed down, and the player bounced up and shot the puck in the empty net, and I allowed the goal, and all hell broke loose. The fans came over the glass, and uh, even the mom, the mother of the goaltender from Bentley, she was on the ice at the referee circle screaming at me, and it was just like the wildest scene in a little town in Alberta. I was 20 years old Jeez. and bless her heart. Her, her denture popped out in, as she was yelling at me, uh, her false uh, teeth, uh, the front plate came flying out and spun on the ice in front of us all. And we just sort of in the midst of that chaos, we just all stopped in our tracks and, you know, kind of half mortified. It was no big deal. It's just a plate and all the hockey players <laughs> can pull theirs out in a minute. Uh, but it was such a juxtaposition to the scene that it stopped everything right in its tracks. And we kind of all skulked away and that was the end of it. But yeah, what a, what a career that was. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed standing at center ice, you know, uh, national anthem playing and uh, junior hockey, you know, you've got that tremendous uh, energy before a game and, there again, you're just praying that as a as the lawmaker, uh, Ken Miller, an OPP officer, gave me the best advice on that one. He just said, Ron, it's like a bird in the hand. You know, squeeze it too tight, you kill it. 
don't hold it firmly enough, it'll fly away on you. So that was my approach to refereeing. And I tried to do it with honey. They say you do it one of two ways. One, maybe with vinegar. Bill McCurry would be a great, now already an old name to some. Uh, some do it with honey. And I tried that approach. I tried to sweet talk my way through the game. So <laughs> didn't always work. Yeah. That's a, that's a wild story though. I, I I know a few stories where it's it's fans or parents jump at the glass, but that's that's pretty wild, Ron. Yeah, I want to peel back a little bit to what you talked about and up upping kind of the people that you um, share the screen with. So obviously the people that you have shared the screen with in the past, whether it's uh, Tara or or George or or uh, Don, but uh, currently whether it's Jennifer Botterill or Anthony Stewart, um, what's your relationship like uh, with the current people you work with and just uh, the new well, dynamic, as you said, out of the pandemic? They're, they're fantastic. Kevin, in his case, the first time he was on the air with me, we were just making small talk before going on the air. And I referenced a, a thing that happened in the 1970s when Red Kelly was coaching Toronto. He used pyramid power. He put pyramids under each of the uh, bench, uh, portions of the bench to supposedly infuse the players with an extra energy that would be great in the game. And right away, Kevin Bieksa says, well, yeah, the aquifers. Yeah. I said, what are aquifers? He said, well, those are the capillaries, you know, how the pyramids work is they had uh, shafts that went down into the earth. And I mean, this guy's a mad physicist. And then he went on that night and spoke about how when you're right-handed passing to a right-handed shooter, the centrifugal versus centrifugal force uh, will have an impact on how fast that shot comes off the stick. And so, so impressive. His father is uh, Al. Uh, runs unions out in British Columbia and has a great sense of ethics. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, my neighbor here in Oakville, five doors down, is Anita Anon, now the Minister of Defense. Wow. And uh, she's done really well. Her first portfolio was procurement. So she was in charge of the, during the pandemic, she had to get all the masks, the I-95s and the vaccines. And so she's walked into two crazy portfolios back to back and she's got four degrees from universities all over the world and she's a very impressive woman so anyway nothing to do with me being a liberal or uh, <laughs> voting for conservatives yeah. or voting for ndp she happens to be a liberal and she's my neighbor and so i thought for christmas i would get her election sign that she had on her lawn and i would have all the hockey night in canada crew sign it and kevin wow. said I'll never sign that. My dad would kill me if I signed that. And I thought, oh, dad must be a conservative, but he's NDP, <laughs> stupid me. He's union. So he, he was a, a, so anyway, Kevin's comes from uh, just an unbelievable, like in the back of his head, every time he says, I like fighting, he's thinking about how to frame it so that it doesn't sound like a dinosaur. On to uh, Jennifer Botterill. Yeah. I mean, what can I say? You know, the, the, when I got into so much trouble uh, a couple of years ago, she's the, the most positive human alive. And when Kevin Bieksa happened to say on the show, I'm the most positive person on the panel. And then I tried to give him a shot about clearly you're not the most positive person, but I didn't quite articulate it in a way that kept me safe. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer's that she's uh, her father, Cal is a preeminent sports psychologist. So she comes from that background that she's a really great teacher she and her husband adrian lamonico run hockey academies here in toronto so she's got the skills uh you know ability to teach that uh great kelly rudy is uh you know just a dear friend for so long now that we could literally uh plan each other's comments um two alberta kids who you know both pinch ourselves he's from edmonton played hockey late uh for inland cement up there in edmonton while i was playing for a, a paving company down in red deer so just it's just a crazy Donna and Kelly and Carrie and I get together and it's like, we're still in grade six. So that's nice. Uh, Elliot, you know, Elliot, uh, just on top of everything, uh, a great soul. I always say in our job, we have people who are loved in our care and Elliot's got a great sense of his, uh, particularly like Tara, Tara Sloan's grandmother is the biggest influence. You can ask Tara about her grandmother. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, by far the biggest influence in Tara Sloan's life. And the same holds true of Elliot Friedman. And uh, just both of them, Tara and Elliot, again, incredibly grounded in ethics and in uh, rights, human rights. So mm-hmm. everything's everything's a bit measured and careful and uh, proactive in terms of ensuring rights. Yeah. And as I, I said earlier, I know Tara's doing amazing things with the sharks and she's mixing in a lot of that. So, uh, and I'll also make sure to ask Tara a couple of questions about you, Ron, and her experience yeah. uh, with you. I think I'm sure she gets tired of that because it's <laughs> obviously like I, she, she must get a lot of, uh, you know, Tommy Lee and, uh, you know, there's others in her rock and roll career yeah. that are famous, but, uh, because it was hockey night in Canada for 30 some years when yeah. Tara climbed into the chair and started, you know, it was so fantastic to have a, a female lead. We now have Carolyn Cameron, uh, who was great. Um, but Tara, you know, she's a powerful intellect. Uh, I call her the ethical canary. And that's based on the idea in the old days, the miners would bring canaries down into the mine because canaries were prone to die. If methane uh, gas was in the air, they would die immediately. And that would let the miners know that there was poisonous gas in the shaft and they'd get back out. So an ethical canary is a metaphor for someone who can sort of read the tea leaves and see that the conversation is steering or veering down a poisonous tack. Um, And she's, she's just amazing. So great that she's got uh, her career uh, going in San Jose and, um, you know, nothing but bigger and better things for Tara if she chooses. Yeah. Carolyn's another, another great um, presence now. She even yes. came in my sport media class and uh, just some of the stuff that she had to say and, and how her career's grown. It's, it's, it's amazing to see what she's now doing uh, through yeah. Sportsnet. Just a, such so easy, right? She's a, um, you know, my, my mom was big on pretense. She hated when I would, and I, I still screw it up all the time, but you know, I end up appearing smug or appearing, uh, didactic or you pick your, uh, criticism. I, I am guilty as charged. And my mom would try to break me of that. Uh, I, I liken her to Kyle Bacoskis in that regard. I remember saying to Kyle's mom one time out in, uh, he's from Campbell river, BC, and we were there for hometown hockey. And I said, uh, do you ever get, uh, where you're looking at Kyle and you want to slap him for being so cocky? And she says, Kyle. And I come to think of it. That's true. I've never seen Kyle be cocky in his life. And she's that way. She's just got a, you know, there's no pretense. It's a, uh, self-deprecating, confident beyond, but self-deprecating and uh, charming and, and lots of humor laced uh, in her approach. Yeah, I think that's a big thing uh, through broadcasting, Ron. And just, I, I know you know this very well, is, is people's perception of someone, oh. of course. And if, and as you said at the start, being genuine, being yourself and having that project, but there's a certain level of confidence and ability to up yourself on the broadcast to be successful. So of course I I'm learning that. I know it's a constant process, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's kind of the balance that uh, you need because you're always going to have people have your, the opinion of you and, and just um, have certain comments, but I do want your thoughts on that as well. Well, that's John, that's where it does kind of come back to. You have to appeal to you, you know, like life, you have to look in the mirror and with everything, with your branding, with, you know, it's all well and good to uh, yeah. go along, to get along with what most people are thinking. Um, but if you hate yourself at the end of that day, you know, what's the point? Why would you even do that? So that that is the greatest advice uh, that was given to me is that, you know, it's try to understand the authenticity comes from your own sincerity. Yeah. Uh, Groucho Marx said, you know, the key to television is sincerity. And when you can fake that, you've got it made, <laughs> which there's a kernel of truth in that. Cause half the time you're, you're, you're feeling a little ill prepared or you're feeling nervous or you're feeling, um, you know, just confused. Uh, and, and that'll show, you know, uh, 
you can't you I, I think there is a little bit of a biorhythm to it all that you you know is beyond our control and there's days when you see the ice and days you don't and you you need to forgive yourself you need acceptance uh to to be able to to move past that perfectionism and and just keep your for me the trick is is uh, get out of yourself and into why are you doing it and for whom um if you're if you're in the service of another if you're uh, lifting another you can't go wrong if you're there to somehow steal the show or to you know make your mark uh you can get into trouble that's back to Wayne Barry's Wayne Heinrich is his real name but his radio pseudonym was Wayne Barry he said uh, Ron if you let your guest shine you by extension will shine and all the James Duthie does it uh yeah. All the ones we've talked about, you know, that's kind of the secret of their success. I love that. And yeah, Ron, I, I got to say, I, I love all all the quotes you always bring to the broadcast or just to the conversations. I, I feel like that really brings to life um, whatever the conversation is, whether you bring back on different stories or, or, or quotes from a lot of different like very knowledgeable people, uh, including yourself. So um, no, I love that. Just on the perspective of and we listed a lot of people that you work with. What's your favorite day to work? Well, I, I know you've gone through so many different experiences like Olympics, as we said, and so many different major events, but you don't necessarily have to zone in on NHL here, but is there a certain day that happens annually? I, I know Elliot's is probably, well, yeah. actually maybe the love or hate for trade deadline, but what, what's it, your yeah, favorite? He, he, <laughs> Elliot can't wait for March the 4th. I can assure you he's, <laughs> uh, he's under the gun, right? He's, he's just yeah. feeling the pressure of uh, breaking stories and getting details right and not offending all of his sources with uh, whatever he says. Yeah. So it's an, it's a hard few weeks for Elliot and for Jeff Merrick and her, anybody cast in that insider's role. Um, you know, for, for me, I really enjoyed doing golf. Uh, I enjoyed doing the horse racing too. I kind of sometimes felt like uh, animal activists are probably, you know, questioning whether this is even ethically right. Uh, same with the rodeo. I loved Calgary Stampede and uh, everything about how much uh, the folks involved in rodeo took care of the animals. Yeah. It didn't look that way, but I knew that they did. And I felt that I knew that they did, especially on the chuck wagon driving side. Um, so I really enjoyed the stampede and I really enjoyed golf. Golf was the one that was low key. Uh, it, it somehow in everything else, we wrap ourselves in either the flag in the case of the Olympics, or uh, you're so partisan and you're cheering for your favorite team in the case of hockey, that it's unreasonable. There's just no seeing straight uh, when your team is tripped uh, or when your country is uh, not leading the medal standings. Like honestly, John, in the, in the times that I've anchored primetime Olympics, never once have I shown the uh, medal standings. Pierre de Coubertin created the idea of the modern Olympics based on, uh, he, he did it in a way to try and get French uh, soldiers to be better soldiers. He did think that competition, you know, stirs uh, some of the juices in, in a soldier. So that was his, you know, you could even question whether that's a great idea, but he certainly was yeah. against nationalism uh, and, he, and he at all costs wanted not to have, and even George Washington, first president of the United States was against the political party system for the very same reason, how divisive it can become. And in the case of me just anchoring our, my little Olympic shows, I just didn't want it to be Canada vis-a-vis -vis Germany and Russia and USA. I wanted to celebrate the uh, achievements of the teams and the duos and the individuals and leave it at that. I didn't feel it was necessary to be so Canadian uh, about the successes. Uh, and I think that just is rooted in my only child upbringing and my Air Force upbringing. Born in Zweibrück in Germany, lived in France, lived in Canada, all over the place. I felt those kinds of, uh, you know, designations, whether it be, uh, the parochial, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of those. So, um, that, that's kind of 
always a feeling I had is to avoid nationalism in, in our work. So my mm -hmm. favorite day was golf because it, you know, and then, and the rodeo was like this too, because the rodeo, if you said to an American cowboy, you know, Hey, uh, there's four Texans in the uh, bull riding fights. We don't think about that. So you're brave enough to get on a bull, you know, where you come from is right here, mister. Uh, and, uh, so they they hated nationalism in the rodeo and on the golf front i mean we do do the president's cup and it's crazy yeah. it turns this sport of decorum into a wild cheering and i can't argue it isn't great it's funny it's it's like wwe or f or any form of wrestling uh when the crowds are suddenly cheering while the guy's making a putt or a chip it's insane um, but that's what nationalism does right that's what wrapping oneself in the flag does and I don't like it. I, I prefer the, the etiquette. I prefer the uh, decorum. I prefer the sportsmanship. Um, yeah. So, but uh, golf, God, Judy Rankin, you know, just to, to do the LPGA Canadian Women's Open and to do some of the Skins events, uh, to be around, they're all great interviews. They, you know, they, they have to be so brave to, to play that sport is uh, much like the figure skater who stands at center ice waiting for the music. It's like eyes of the world on you and go ahead. It's only a five footer, knock it in and you got the masters. Yeah. Can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ron, I do know talking to a lot of people, they, they like a lot of people have had different interactions with you on the golf course. I know you're a big golf guy, whether it's yeah, charity terrible. golf tournaments or <laughs> um, I'm good but, at the 19th hole, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I do know uh, a lot of people that I've met. You have had great interactions on the course and, and obviously different. I feel like I could throw so many questions at you in that regard and, and different people you've met, but yeah, just to close out, maybe more so hockey and NHL Martin J Walsh that just got uh, hired on as the NHL PA executive director and, and just so many different things with the NHL and new directions. Um, I know I also want to pick your brain just maybe quickly on this is uh, people talking about maybe a new Canadian market somewhere. I, we're at the 32 team format right now. So right. long-term, whether Quebec city, Halifax, another GTA market. So on the new hire for NHLPA director, if you want to touch on that and maybe just the direction sure. of the NHL and hockey in Canada. Well, honestly, John, I feel like the, you know, horse left the barn when Gary Bettman won the lockout uh, and got the salary cap. That mm -hmm. that was when he and I used to have the biggest discussions and arguments and debates was about uh, market value for a player. Uh, and that that has been quashed. Uh, the owners won a, a significant victory. I, I, I will be curious to ask Marty Walsh this, since he did work for Joe Biden, since he you know was a mayor. He's got a lot of background. The, the, there is a little bit of a concern that he's in Jeremy Jacobs' pocket because the Boston Bruins owner, because they were big backers of... Uh, Marty Walsh when he was mayor of Boston. So mm -hmm. you have to watch that little, uh, and he'll answer to that. And I think he maybe already has, Yeah. but I, I would love to ask him how in the world collective bargaining is fair. It, it just seems like when the players got slaughtered in that, la in that seminal uh, negotiation, the owners could have stayed out for four years and not cared. They have so many prongs to their businesses. Uh, they are billionaires to the players, you know, on a short-term career. So it's kind of a nasty question, but in my experience in the business, uh, that's the one injustice I sense. I, I don't think, I feel like unions are starting to get their legs again. You know, they were broken basically all over North America in, in the years under Reagan and so on. Um, I feel that collective bargaining for a player versus an owner is not a not a fair way to do it. I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell anything's ever going to change because the Supreme Court in the United States is predominantly Republican. So you're not going to see a change from a business friendly uh, yeah. version of law. But I, I, I will see if Marty's up for that conversation. That might be too boring. Eyes glaze over for TV, but I would look forward to having that with him in person. And uh, 
as far as the direction of the PA, you know, the only other thing on the table potentially is the length of the schedule. Could we take it down to 72 games? Everybody plays each other once, and then you add two other games within the division against the teams in your division. Just to, They seem to be going hell-bent for leather since we moved up to 32 teams. There are very few practice days, a lot of injuries. Uh, I think the uh, product would be improved. You saw how coming out of the All-Star break, Rangers Calgary was like crazy uh, because yeah. they were rested. So that would be, you know, but I don't, again, how are you going to win that discussion when it uh, means 10 less games worth of revenue? You, you'd have to, you'd have to sell them on the idea that a better product is uh, more attractive to whoever the new rights holders down the line become, because it's television for now. Um, but I think it, you know, you're, you're bound to expect Netflixes and Googles and YouTubes yeah. of the world to, to be rights holders going forward and what that landscape's going to look like. I have no idea. Yeah, there's so many levels, Ron. I feel like when it comes to even for myself on the on the YouTube channel, it's just I, I have so many of these conversations. Whether it's Sidney Crosby at the All Star talking about the the format in the playoffs, or or right. or the salary cap conversation that just continues and continues, and obviously hit, kind of had a dent uh, after COVID. So yeah, there's so many different conversations. But uh, Ron, I I will continue to be so um, just. Yeah, the admiration and the respect I have for you. I know I've been hyping you all up a yeah, lot in this enough. podcast. But... <laughs> I'll either blush or I'll keep smiling at how kind you are. Uh, but one thing about uh, one of my favorite responses to all the changes and, you know, should we do this format, that format, schedule this, pay this? Uh, David Adams Richards wrote a book called Hockey Dreams. Uh, he's from Miramichi, New Brunswick. He's a senator now. And uh I asked him about, you know, some of the changes coming out of the 2006 uh, lockout when they also did the Brendan Shanahan Summit, and they really cracked down on obstruction, and the game became a little less physical. And and David Adams Richards looked bemused as I was formulating the question, and he finally just says, you know, Ron, I have found that no matter what they do to the game, we just get used to it. We'll still love it. Uh, everything's going to be okay. And I just thought, it's like one time, uh, my first time at the Geminis, you know, these are the now they give out, uh, I have this here. This is embarrassing that I even have this here, but I only have one. I gave the other, I think I had 10 of these. I gave the other nine away, but I kept one because it's, I can put my, uh, my phone on it and talk on my headphones. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I'm doing a radio interview. So this is my phone holder, but it's an award. And the first time I was ever nominated, I lost, I lost a lot. James Duthie, the last 50 and Brian Williams, the first <laughs> 50. but, but I was there and I lost and Lloyd Robertson, a great news anchor for CTV news was sitting to my left. And he looked over at me, he says, Ron, it's going to be okay. <laughs> he's, just, he's like David Adams Richards and the, the state of the game. Sometimes when I get wound up either in my ethics or in my hockey, you know, discussions. I think of David Adams, Richards, and Lloyd Robertson. Ron, thank you so much for joining um, the conversation, the podcast. Uh, is there anything else that you're doing these days that maybe um, the people aren't aware of or or something that you have for yourself kind of coming up or, or just maybe for yourself what you're looking forward to uh, going forward? Well, John, we're in the middle, you know, Carrie and I are, I'm 62 and Carrie's young, uh, but she's just younger than me. And uh, we're, we're sort of thinking, you know, what's in the future. So we're yeah. we've built a, a home in Thornbury, Ontario. And that kind of is in the Blue Mountains, for those who don't know, is a great skiing, golf, uh, Georgian Bay. And, you know, we'll probably split between uh, Oakville and uh, that area uh, as long mm -hmm. as we can. Uh, and then when I retire, uh, ultimately, you know, that's sort of in the future. And and what I would do is, you know, maybe Metropolitan University, uh, 
go to do a little bit of teaching, hopefully, uh, or do some public speaking. Uh, maybe write. I, I wrote yeah. twice uh, with the help of Kirsty Kirsty McClellan Day. Uh, that would be nice to do. You know, when the dust settles, uh, especially when Tara and I were doing hometown hockey, yeah. the info load on that show was uh, daunting. So there was no time. A lot of uh, public outreach. But yeah, I, I think we're we're sort of in those years where we don't know. As I said to you, John, not a goal setter, mm-hmm. um, but definitely want to try and uh, put a property somewhere where you know, even if we don't stay there, where we give ourselves a shot at being active. That that would be you know down the line the only the only thing I'm thinking about other than Saturday what are we doing to open the show There's no uh, Leafs on the broadcast this particular coming weekend so I get to uh, do something that's Montreal or Vancouver or Ottawa centric off the top of the show mm-hmm. yeah the public speaking would be awesome Ron I, I'm sure a lot of people would get uh, so much out of that um, I do on our way out here I do have to give a shout out to my cousin uh, Lucas he works at the NHL office uh, he usually co-hosts. Uh, with me, but sometimes I, I I do this do it solo. So shout out to him and with all your experiences, Ron and Don, and just growing yeah. up watching you on TV. Um, truly, truly amazing to see everything you've done personally and individually. And and for you and your wife, I I, I truly do hope the best um, going forward and continue to see you on my TV and and uh, see all the great things you do. I'll tell you what Bob Cole told me in one of the greatest moments of my young career. He, I had worked a Friday night Leafs at Chicago and came back to do the Saturday night at Maple Leaf Gardens. And that's when Bob Cole rolled into the building and he just walked over and he says, uh, don't change a thing. <laughs> and that's for you, John. Don't you change a thing. Uh, you're uh, excellent. And uh, yeah, it was really kind to have that, that exchange. Oh yeah. Thank you so much, Ron. And, and I really do appreciate, as I said, coming on to hot take hockey podcast, um, Huge guest. Thank you so much, Ron, for coming on. Got her.